Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guest is producer-director Lloyda Limbaugh, and we're going to talk about her brand-new documentary, Through the Night. Welcome to the show, Lloyda. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. Pleasure it's, to be here. Oh, it's it's lovely having you on the show. This was a very this is a very touching documentary. I have to tell you, I teared up a number, number of times watching it, and I uh, was very moved uh, by this film. It, it, it's, yeah, it, it brings to light issues that many people may not be aware of so um so i I, and i thought you did it in a a really beautiful way so so our our um listeners uh know what we're talking about why don't you tell us a little bit of what through the night is all about sure um and thank you for the kind words uh you know these times releasing a film virtually every time you get to sort of actually hear someone tell you how they reacted to the film is just really priceless uh because everything is happening you know virtually and and, and it sometimes feels like it's a bit of a vacuum you know right <laughs> right exactly uh, exactly yeah so so thank you for sharing that uh, the film, yeah, the film is a verite portrait of the lives of three women, two single mothers uh, and a daycare provider who um, cares for their children in their home at a 24-hour daycare facility. Um, and so we spend time with them over the course of several years. Um, just in really, it's, it's a portrait of everyday life uh, for working class Black and Latina women in the U.S. And so, and it, it really, I, I love, uh, Nunu and Patrick pop up, Nunu and pop up, who have run this D's Tot daycare in New Rochelle uh, for uh, what a couple of decades, right? Yes. That they so, and, and it focuses on them and the intersection of uh, these other single mothers that um, bring their children there. I, I was just amazed by the the love and the caring um, that both well Nunu and Patrick. Nunu and Pop Pop um, have just in general, uh, but just the way that they, how they are with the children was just so warm and touching. Uh, so when you were filming this, how was that? How did the children react? Because you're right there. You were you were filmed this over, a, what, a couple of years? Is that correct? Yes, yes. Um, we shot most of the film in about two and a half years and then, you know, took four years total to make it. Um, and, you know, being there, it's, it's funny because uh, every time that we had a shoot going to the daycare, it was, it became the entire crew's happy place, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the course of that time, you know, different crew members had different challenges coming up in their lives, you know, family members that had fallen ill or, you know, different sort of just life, right, challenges right. that we all, we all face. And they would tell me that this was the one project that they were working on where they really looked forward, you know, to going there because they left sort of feeling um, the the warmth that I hope comes across on the screen. Um, You feel it in person, you know, 10 times fold. Um, And so... 
uh, that was a lot of what it, it felt like. It, it felt, um, uh, you know, as a bit of an embrace uh, every time that we were there. The children were great. Uh, they would, every time we came to shoot, they would sort of stop whatever they were doing and turn their attention to us for all of like maybe two minutes, if that. Uh, <laughs> and then they would kind of just go right back to whatever it was that they were, you know, playing Legos or doing math or, you know, playing tag. Uh, they would kind of just go right back. You know, they would stop, pay attention, interact with us, sometimes ask us some questions, sometimes want us to show them things about the equipment, which we would always happily do. Uh, and then they really would just go back, you know, to, to whatever they were they were doing before. Uh, you know, so it was just um, it was, you know, really amazing spending time with them and uh, being able to slow down enough to really uh, watch all of them interacting with each other and just like you've already said, but, you know, it's worth reiterating um, the, the level of love and care uh, present in that space. Uh, you know, it was really, to me, just feels like something that was a, a gift, you know, to be able to work on this project and be able uh, to witness that. I can, yes, I, I can imagine it was a gift. Um, it, it, it is a gift for the viewer to to peek into this world a little bit too to see i mean i was i was really amazed how well behaved all of these children were <laughs> i mean there was no really acting i mean there was one little boy who cried a little bit but i mean but how how nunu handled that you know how oh, yeah. handled that and you know but i think because that i mean i always believe in loving discipline that children need mm -hmm. loving discipline they need to know mm -hmm. what the boundaries are and you need mm -hmm. to set those and 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 stay within those boundaries but you can do it in a very loving way and that's what i uh, saw and and the way that Nunu and Pop Up, um, you know, interacted with the children, you could just see the love emanating from them to the children, and 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 then back. The children right. were just so they. I think that well, they obviously felt loved, but they, uh, there was a respect too. You know that oh, they yeah. weren't just thrown into you know because we've heard horror, horror stories about daycare centers too, but this one was just an incredibly loving one. Um, so yeah, it, it it really comes through very strong. So tell me how you got attracted to this particular project. Yeah, so I learned about these talks uh, via an article that I read many years ago, maybe about six years ago, uh, and the article was focused on the reality that in the U.S people increasingly have to work more than one job to make ends meet and that many of those jobs often require overnight hours or irregular hours, you know, sort of schedules that change from day to day. And then it posed the question of given that reality, who then looks after people's children? Uh, and then it featured these tots, right? And so you sort of read a little bit about the daycare and you also read a bit about the mothers, primarily the mothers, although there's all sorts of families at the daycare uh, who were relying right on this uh, this space. And when I read those stories, I was immediately sort of brought back to my own childhood because I was raised by a single working mother who worked the night shift. Uh, my mother worked as a home health aide. I am the oldest of four children. Uh, and my mother raised four kids in New York City, you know, making minimum wage, working the night shift. And um, I just remember how often, you know, I saw her have to kind of make impossible decisions in order to provide for us. 
you know, and how little support there was. Uh, and at the same time, how much criticism there was, right? Like people, lots of people in her community or employers and, and sometimes our schools um, had a lot of things to say about the fact that she worked the night shift and just, you know, how this and how dangerous and how, you know, whatever, right? All these, all these thoughts that people have, but no one ever really offering any support or any help, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Knowing that, you know, experience from the perspective of a child and now being a mother myself, um, I, I sort of quickly became enraged at the fact that, uh, you know, so little has changed. That was my mother's reality when she was raising me. I'm going to be 42 next week. So this is 30 something years later and mothers are still being put in this position, um, you know, and, and that just really outraged me. And it also occurred to me that it is a reality that is uh, very common uh, in many communities, certainly communities of color and, and working class communities, but it's pretty invisible in our mainstream. Uh, folks don't really, we don't see these stories. And so, you know, as a filmmaker, all, all of that combined really became the, the motivation to make the film. It is amazing that nothing's really changed in those 30 years. I mean, I can, I, I can, when I read that during the research, I was like, I was really shocked that nothing really had changed in that time period. Um, so it's great that you decided to shine a light on, on this. So people be, do become more aware of the issues and problems. Uh, my concern was what happened? I mean, you obviously didn't plan, and I don't want to give anything away, that there was going to be something dramatic that takes place. I mean, you know, that's mm-hmm. what, you know, filmmakers could only, a docu- documentary filmmakers, I'm sure, hope for, that there's something, you know, that takes place that's a shift and a change. And you obviously didn't realize there would be something dramatic that takes place during this film. What was that like? And I, again, without giving it away, because I think I really want people to watch this. What was that like for you as a filmmaker going through that? Yes. Uh, so it, it was actually probably one of the most difficult uh, parts of the, the process and, and, and difficult to navigate because, you know, I, I, I at once realized that the incident that occurs, you know, in many ways uh, exemplifies, right, like just how precarious the balance is for so many working families in the United States um, and that people are coming up with solutions, right, that Nunu and Pop-Up are certainly a solution. I refer to them often as providing the social safety net to working parents that government and the society refuses to provide, right? They are there plugging holes. They, they provide childcare, but they provide so much more. When a family is facing, you know, housing insecurity, they're on the phone helping to advocate, right? Um, you know, they do toy drives. In the middle of the pandemic, they have met every possible need that you can imagine essential workers might have. They're there on the front line 
plugging all those holes, right? Um, and so these folks are here providing the safety net. They are amazing. They're, they are miracle workers. I absolutely um, celebrate them. Uh, and at the same time, it is unjust, unfair, unreasonable. Um, and, and I, you know, I think just really cruel that we expect, you know, that individuals shoulder, right, this responsibility, which is a societal responsibility. This is, and I, and I mean the responsibility of providing a safety net to working class people. Um, and so when, so, when anything, this balance is so precarious, right, it's literally a tightrope that everyone is walking. If anything, any little thing, any big thing happens to disturb that balance, you know, the, the consequences of that are, are potentially, you know, just truly exponential. And, and the incident really exemplifies that, right? Um, and so on the one hand, as a filmmaker, I recognize all of that. But then on the other hand, as a human being, as a friend, as a mother, uh, I was just truly concerned um, for everyone involved and wanted to prioritize uh, their needs and, um, and showing up as a human being and as a friend first, um, beyond, you know, before being a filmmaker that's thinking about a story, uh, you know, but there was a tension between that, you know, and, and I'll just, you know, be honest about that, you know, um, at times I wondered whether I was being perhaps not as rigorous as I could have been, you know, in trying to kind of get coverage of, you know, the incident or the crisis in, in its kind of high point. And then I would the kind of the, my, my internal pendulum would swing completely to the other side and think like, no, it would be um, inhumane and extractive for me to ask um, uh, folks to sort of expose themselves or to even make space and time for an interview or for shooting in a time of, of crisis, you know, and, and, and ultimately I'll, I'll tell you, this is a, a funny story. Um, it was my, my son uh, who was about seven at the time, he's nine and now who gave me the best advice ever uh, that helped <laughs> me figure out like what's it to do. Um, and he said, to, you know, I explained the whole situation to him. I explained, what I was weighing out. And he said, well, you know, mom, you have to first be there for your friends because she's your friend. Uh, and then secondly, like without your friend, there isn't a film anyway. So, you know, what I, I left that conversation with him being reminded of like what my values are as a person and as a filmmaker. And, and really it was a reminder of the need to prioritize the relationship you know, that I had built with all of them, you know, at that point, this was about three years into the, the process of making the film, um, that that needed to be the priority and everything else was secondary, you know, and mm -hmm. if I prioritize the relationship, I could figure out a way forward. And, and that's what we did. Two things there, the first out of the mouths of babes right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right. comes the wisdom that we need to hear. So that's pretty remarkable that you've raised such a good son in that. But, um, it, 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 yeah, friendship is the foundation. I mean, I'm sure that obviously that was the um, why they, uh, you know, Dolores and Patrick del allowed you to come in and film them because they felt a sense of trust. And in that 
switch. If you don't have trust, you don't have anything as far as I'm concerned or friendship or anything else. So that trust was built into the, into the situation. And, and that's, um, that, that shows through also in this film. I was curious. Now you did mention a little bit about the pandemic. I was curious because I was, as I was watching this, I was thinking, wow, I wonder what, what's going on now during the pandemic mm-hmm. this past year. So can you, can you elaborate a little bit more about how they are surviving, um, Doing this because you you follow two other women. You followed um, Marisol and Shinona. Is that how you say yes. your name, Shinona? Yes. Uh, Tate. So let's talk a little bit about the two women that you follow, but also um, how about how the pandemic is is affecting um, Dolores and Patrick. So those are three yeah. part questions. So we. You know, as I've said, we, we started making the film long before the pandemic. But in this moment, it turns out that Through the Night is a portrait of the lives of essential workers. Because Marisol, who is featured in the film, she's a single mother of two children. Um, and when we meet her in the film, she is uh, trying to find one full-time job. Uh, she is currently holding three jobs, three part-time jobs, because none of her employers want to give her full-time employment so that they don't have to pay benefits like health insurance and other things, right? And so she's holding down three jobs, working around the clock. uh, And throughout the pandemic, one of her uh, employers is a supermarket supplier. And so she's been working, you know, six, seven days a week throughout the entire pandemic. Um, And then Shinona is a pediatric ER nurse. Uh, So again, literally on the front lines of, of the pandemic as a nurse. And Nunu and Patrick are among the few uh, daycare providers who have not closed their doors uh, in this moment, uh, which is, you know, it's a kind of it's a it's a blessing, but it's certainly a, a fraught sort of situation. It's a blessing in terms of the fact that over some something like over 60 percent of daycare providers have closed their doors in the U.S. Uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, wow. and, and many of them will probably not be able to bounce back. Uh, which leaves a real question about recovery and what is needed, you know, to, to recover from, from this. Uh, but because they care for the children of so many essential workers, they were able to remain open, which also then makes them essential, which also means that, you know, they've been on the front lines um, risking risking their health, right? And, right. and their family's right. health um, to keep things functioning. Uh, and so they are, they're all still working and have been working working this whole time. Uh, and I would say, you know, they're, they're safe. They've been safe, obviously have been impacted, you know, in many different ways, um, uh, like so many of us at this point, right? The, the, the losses and the illness uh, is really literally at, our, at all of our front doors um, and they're no exception. And and I think they, they're um, really tired and weary. And also mm-hmm. I've heard them say, you know, that it's a bit of a slap in the face uh, to be doing what they're doing and still be so, so unrecognized and so so um, undervalued. You know, many mm-hmm. times when we talk about essential workers, people don't include child care providers in that. They don't include home health aides. They don't include the supermarket clerk. They don't include the, the janitor, right? There, there are right. all these jobs that um, get forgotten when we're celebrating doctors and nurses and firefighters. Um, so that's how they're doing. So much to say there, but that's a stat. I'm going to go back. Because you're right. I'm happy to hear that they're still that they are still 
um, providing daycare because what with the people that are essential workers that have to go to work to help support their families, um, what would they do with their children if they didn't have somebody like Dolores and Patrick to help them with that? But staggering, you said 60% of daycare centers have closed during this pandemic and and probably won't we op- reopen that's just staggering i hadn't even you know i hadn't thought of, you know you don't think about it when you don't have you know children yeah. and you know so it's, it's not something that goes into your you know into your mindset um but that's staggering why why do you think that is are they just because parents are having to stay home and they're not working or they just don't yeah. have the money to pay for it or what what do you think some of the main reasons are or because well, of the pandemic itself that you, you don't want to take a chance to have children come and it's just like schools. All the schools have been closed as we all know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a combination of factors. I would say, um, you know, certainly the safety piece is one. Um, the other is obviously, you know, different families are making different kinds of decisions about how to, how to move, right. And how to live. Um, but I think the primary reason is that, Daycare providers themselves are often um, not too far off uh, in terms of being in the same boat from the very people that need their services, right? So Mm -hmm. most daycare providers are also Black and Latina and immigrant women. Um, They are underpaid. Uh, You know, the providers who are owners of centers themselves operate on very thin margins. And so they don't have the kind of buffer you know, or the wiggle room to withstand this kind of crisis. Uh, And so that's, you know, if if you think about it in kind of business terms, if you're operating a business already on thin margins, any strong winds that come your way are going to knock your enterprise down. And that's um, that's the the situation for most providers. Um, You know, it was already um, a pretty unstable foundation uh, because, again, there is no real, like, government anything for anything that people need in terms of healthcare, childcare, living wages, you know, all the things. Um, and, and then we're now in, you know, in this moment where we're seeing uh, just how unsustainable all of that is to operate in that way. And that everybody's like one pay- paycheck away from, you know, yeah. being, you know, evicted apparently, you know, I mean, yep. and this, this, what's gone on is shining a light for all Americans to really be looking at that, that, you know, we know it, we hear it, but now we're, we're really seeing it and it's really having a, a, a reverberation, um, throughout our country. And, um, so this film will, will be shining a light. Your movie through the night is going to be shining a light on this issue. I mean, certainly it, it is. It's it's timely that your film has come out when it did. Um, I do. We only have a minute or so, but I do want to talk to you because you are you are a um, a Sundance fellow, and um, you also this this film was part of the Sundance Edit and Story Lab. Tell us, tell our audience a little bit what a Sundance fellow is, and we have about a, a minute and a half or so. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, the Sundance Film Festival and the Sundance Institute are, um, you know, among the sort of premier uh, institutions for filmmaking, um, both independent, documentary, narrative. It's it's just such an important um, sort of cultural hub in the United States. And uh, they have a number of different programs. Uh, that are really intended to support independent artists um, that are making work from different perspectives. And so sometimes that looks like mentorship and other times it looks like grants and 
oftentimes for an independent artist is sort of, you know, sitting with their ideas at home on their own. Um, what it feels like is a, is a real vote of confidence um, that what you have to say matters and that it's worthy of being supported. Amazing. And it's it's just an honor to be associated with Sundance. And, and it's not something that it's a very, very difficult to become involved with Sundance and become a fellow a Sundance Institute fellow. So kudos to you and uh, for being a part of, of, of a wonderful organization. Where can people see Through the Night, Lloyda? Through the Night is currently playing in virtual cinemas across the entire United States. And so folks can visit our website, which is throughthenightfilm.com and pick a theater and, you know, uh, just watch from home. So we, yes, please, you know, spread yes. the word, watch the film and <laughs> let your folks know. <laughs> Through the Night Films. Is that it? Through the night films.com. Through the night films.com. Wonderful. Well, everybody seek this out. It's a very moving, um, documentary and, and it's, and it's uh, just beautifully done and it shines a light on something that an issue that I think we all need to be more aware of. Lloyda, I wish you much success. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much, Jen. Such a pleasure. You're so welcome. You have a wonderful day and a wonderful new year, too. You too. Take good care. You too. Thank you. You can listen to The Jam Price Show anywhere and whenever you would like at thejampriceshow.com where all my shows are archived. You can also listen on the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Also, you can like us on Facebook, The Jam Price Show, and Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Jam Price Show. Thank you for listening. Jam Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jam Price Show, all about movies.